0: No. Oh. Let's do it now. <laughs> okay, we'll start it all over. <laughs> Hang on. That would have been bad. No. I <laughs> okay, here we go. Welcome to our show. This is Las Vegas Real Estate Now where we bring you the 3 E's: educate empower and engage. We want to help you to make your real estate decisions wise ones for you and your family. I'm your host Harvey Blankfeld of the Blankfeld Group at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services and we have over a century of collective real estate experience. I'm a licensed agent here in Nevada. My NRED number is S.0048897. On this program, we're dedicated to delivering timely, balanced truths about local market conditions. If you ever have a question or an idea for our program, please call or text me at 702-203-1165. Again, that's 702 702- 203-1165 today on our program with some outstanding guests to start the year off with us uh we have eli siegel from the las vegas review journal welcome back eli thanks for having me glad to have you back we also have uh, rick Senemy, one of our returning grand champions uh from equity <laughs> title thanks for having me again glad, glad to have you back rick um eli i want to talk to you about, there's so many things we got to talk about real estate and and you have your your hand on the pulse of our market uh, i know you you write prolifically for the rj about real estate here in our market and twenty twenty two was an interesting year. Yeah. Right? To say the least. <laughs> to say the least. I mean yeah. I mean we almost always say that, but twenty twenty two really carries a lot of interesting things that happened. Started off like wildfire, just like twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah, I mean uh you know, all indications at the beginning of, of last year, at the beginning of twenty twenty two were that the housing market in particular was still really just on fire. I mean, we yeah. were still seeing rapid sales, you know, fast price growth. Extremely low inventory, like a couple of weeks worth of inventory, Indeed. probably. Yep. Um, it was just a, it was a very tight, extremely competitive, very fast moving market. Um, and then it wasn't by by about late spring, early summer, we started to see signs that the housing market was starting to hit the brakes a little bit. Yeah. wasn't you know It wasn't like a, a drastic screech screeching halt at, at right away. Right. But in time, it, it kind of became that. And all this came as the Federal Reserve obviously was raising interest rates to fight, you know, what was, I think, you know, record high inflation or the highest inflation in, highest inflation in decades, in decades yeah. 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 And and then what happened in the housing market is mortgage rates went up very fast. I think they, you know, they, they've more than doubled over the past year. Um, you know, I think it's the, the fastest that rates have ever climbed. Ever. Like ever. In the yeah. history yeah. of real estate. Yeah. Indeed. Yep. And it just made buying a house... All that much more expensive, and you, you you tack that on. Not only are borrowing costs higher, but home prices were still way higher than they were a year earlier, and it just it just made it increasingly unaffordable for for people to buy a house. And then you started to see the market really slam the brakes.
0: That's the thing, you know. The thing that's the thing that I saw, and and it's it's interesting because you you've seen you've been watching this market for a long time. I've been watching this market for a long time normally the market moves like a huge ship it just slowly turns in one direction and starts to shift in another way this was like a speedboat it was like whoa it just turned around really quick
1: yeah pretty much
0: and you know as fast as it can be expected and what happened was yeah you're right the 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 fed raising rates and the fed raising rates we've always said that hey the fed rate doesn't directly impact mortgages but in this case it kind of did Because it went so quickly, and it affected more. Because lenders were freaking out about inflation, and that's that's definitely that's what happens. Is they were freaking out about inflation. Yeah, understandably so.
1: Yeah, and you know, Las Las Vegas housing market obviously it has a has a very long track record of basically hitting the gas and hitting the brakes. Yeah. And it you know, it speeds up, slows down, speeds up, slows down. There's there's very little in between. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of cases, and you, it's just prone to this volatility that other cities don't that don't they don't typically see. Yeah. Um but what happened over the last year it was, you know, Vegas was was one of countless cities across the country in 2021 to see its housing market just go through the roof. Yep. And you saw because mortgage rates are cheap for everybody, you saw home buying just go through this bonanza all over the United States and then once rates started to go up you saw home prices you know not well not prices but you saw the market in general just really start to slow down drastically and it was just a huge turnaround you know I was, I was speaking with the um, one of the top economists at Redfin brokerage firm mm-hmm. he was telling me that you know as, as he described it and I think he's spot on 2022 is one of the biggest U turns the housing market had really ever seen i mean it just totally did a 180 yeah. and and Vegas was not alone by any stretch of the imagination with seeing Rapid acceleration and then a rapid slowdown. But I think in some ways, Las Vegas' run-up and slowdown was still more extreme than others, yeah. um, at, at least at certain points. Indeed. And, uh, and so right now what we're seeing is the housing market has really, really slowed down quite a bit, even more than you typically see. Like right now, obviously, this time of year. There's a seasonality to yeah, it. definitely. Right? There is. But, even if it, but, but when you look at what the market was doing exactly a year ago, it has just fallen off
0: clearly and during the pandemic and rick and i have talked about this before during the pandemic the seasonality of real estate kind of went away there was no seasonality. there was no seasonality it was just like fire you know constant fire huge volume you know huge traffic uh lack of inventory things driving prices up but here's the important point i want to make sure that our listeners get and i think this is critical because there's a lot of people out there who will point to this and say oh my goodness here we go again and think about the mid-2000s and the and the uh housing crisis in the bubble that burst then but but it's not it's not the same uh, there are differences right eli
1: yeah there, there are definitely differences there are, there are there are also similarities for sure there are similarities no question i want i don't want to no discount that but yeah but yeah there, there are definitely some key differences to point out you know one is that in the mid-2000s you know it's basically a Comparing easy money to cheap money is the is the way I like to describe it. Yep. And you know, in the mid two thousands, basically anybody who could fog a mirror could get a mortgage loan. And <laughs> that's they were, exactly, they were exactly just, my line. They <laughs> were just you know opening the vaults for basically everybody. Yep. Um. You you know you had people you know the, the stereotypical you know busboy buying five houses yeah. with no money down mortgage loans no no verified income and all that stuff. Yep. Uh, and that was going on all over the place. Vegas was obviously more extreme. We were ground zero for yeah. that. We had more busboys. We why. were. And
0: what I would say is we were the the fastest growing city in the United. States at the worst possible time,
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty much. And you know, in home prices, I think at their peak, were ex, were accelerating. I think fifty percent or more year oh. over year. It oh, was yeah. even the, the the price growth was even faster than what we saw in twenty twenty one, which was yep. still extremely fast and, yep. and, and and extremely out of the ordinary. But in the mid two thousands, it was it was even more extreme. Yep. And then you know, long story short, the financial bank you know the banking system collapses you know, foreclosures all over the place and Las Vegas after being ground zero for the housing bubble was ground zero for the housing bust. Yep. And the housing market was just wiped out and yeah. the prices dropped by two thirds. Yeah. Construction basically came to a halt. And so right now what we're seeing, you know, what we saw in twenty twenty one was, you know, by all accounts, mortgage lending standards were 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 very tight. Yeah. And it was you know, it's not that anyone could walk in and get a loan, but those who could qualify were getting loans at at record low rates. And so you had just tons of people all over the country, you know, obviously getting mortgages at, at very cheap rates, buying homes like crazy, trying yeah. to trying to buy homes like crazy. You know, we were, you know, obviously you guys know better than anybody, 20, 30 offers on a home within yeah. a day or two of being listed. I mean, it was just, yeah. it was really just kind of insanity. And and now we're not seeing that anymore. You know, does that mean the market is crashing? It is, you know, it's it's tough to say because right, right now what we're seeing is the market has slowed down a lot. Yeah. You, know, you know, maybe in six months to a year, we'll see what the market looks like. But right now, you know, prices have, have definitely come down yep. from the peak that we saw in the spring, but they haven't, you know. They're, they they're, they're, not,
0: they're not falling, free, no, they're not in free fall by no, any stretch.
1: they're not. S- sales totals kind of are, though, right now. They are. We are seeing right. sales totals really falling sharply. I think they're down like 50%, yep. 60% year six, over year, yep. each That's. month. I mean, we're seeing drastic drops in sales, but prices have not fallen nearly that fast.
0: Yeah, you, you, I mean you're spot on. I mean, you, you, you tell Eli knows what's going on in our market. He's got a he's got a firm grip on what's happening here right now. I think the important thing to mention about I mean, look, we can all guess what's going to happen. We don't really know. I mean, we we can kind of figure. We can kind of see a little bit of a peek of what we think is going to happen, but we don't really know what's going to happen going forward. But we can say this is that he's absolutely right. Volume is so far down. That's the thing that's really down. Transactional volume. volume. Transactional volume. The the thing. But the interesting thing about that is. It's affecting pricing, but not dramatically. Pricing has not tumbled commensurate with the amount of lack of volume we've had. So that's an interesting thing to me is that there are still – there's still some buyers out there, not a lot. There's still some buyers out there. And now they're starting to get over the shock of the the dramatic increase in interest rates. We're starting to see them come back to the table. We're starting to see lending happening again. Refis, no. There's no refis going on out there, there right now. Very few. Yeah.
2: There's very little in refis. Yeah, I think there's a lot of buyers out there. There are. They're just not ready to buy yet.
0: Yeah. They, they, they're coming to grips with the idea that it's going to cost me more maybe per month now than it would have a year ago right. for sure and because of interest rates. And they're having a hard time holding on to that. Uh, but with that being said, I want to take. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to run a couple of quick commercials uh, for our contributors and come back. And we got a lot more to talk with uh, Eli Siegel about. And then we're also going to talk with Rick and Rick and I. And then we'll do some prognosticating for you guys, try to figure out what's going to happen next year. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. That's great. That was good. Really good. Yeah, and I want to talk about these strip deals too. I do want. Yeah, to that. there's there's been a lot. There's been a lot, a lot going on, strip, on there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. It's interesting how the casinos wanted to be tenants,
1: yeah. Right? Well, they they got that way by selling their properties for billions of dollars, yeah. And then they then they lock into these really long term, yeah. You know, so they get sweetheart leases.
0: sweetheart lease deals, I suppose. But I don't.
1: I mean, they're not they're not sweet. Well, no, I guess not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think but
0: then there's ownership on the on the land side, and then there's ownership on the casino side. I wonder how those vary. It'd be interesting to see how that that's twisted. And I turned. mean,
1: right now the strip is is you know. You know the 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 vast majority of hotels are owned by landlords, yeah, and they're operated by tenants. Interesting. Okay,
0: we'll talk about that. There, let's talk about that on the air. That's that's Uh good. Here we go. Coming back. I'm gonna move my stuff over. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Harvey Blankfeld. You're listening to Las Vegas Real Estate. Now we're here every Saturday at 11 a.m. If you ever have a question or an idea for our program, please call or text me at 702-203-1165. Again, that's 702-203-1165. With me now in studio, we're talking with Eli Siegel from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. We're also talking with Rick Senemi from Equity Title. Um, You know, Rick, uh, Eli and I were talking a lot about what's happened in the past year, or 2022, uh, all related to residential real estate, which you and I are very heavily involved in. I know you, you, you guys are involved in commercial as well. Well, we're heav- heavily involved in, in in residential, but but Eli, I you know I noted that uh, you had some comments earlier when we were talking about it um, about the strip and and what's happening with with commercial property or casino properties on the strip. It's been a lot of transition.
1: Oh that. yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I mean, there's just been enormous amount of uh, enormous number of transactions over the last uh, few years. Yeah. really. And and what's interesting is that you know even as recently as ten years ago, if you Operated a hotel on the strip, you also owned the real estate that uh, you know where where your casino hotel were located in. And you know, I'm not saying there weren't any landlord tenants, you know, setups on the strip, but there were I mean, I can't, I can't, no big ones. You go back 10 years ago, I can't think of any, no big ones. Um, but now, you know, like I was saying just a second ago the 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 vast majority of at least the major hotel casinos the big mega resorts that dominate the strip are owned by landlords and they are leased to tenants such as MGM Resorts Caesars Entertainment and so forth uh, which is a total reversal from what we like I was saying what we saw even you know eight to ten years ago and what's happened is you've got you know the the rise of the REITs right these real estate investment trusts that have come out and bought up for in many cases billions of dollars a piece yeah uh, bought up these hotels. Locked in very long term, very lucrative leases, and you know they were, these were all, most of these were structured to sell leasebacks. So MGM resorts basically went through a period of selling off all of its real estate. Uh, for enormous amounts of money and then leasing them right back, so at the end of the day there's none of this really affects like the average customer who walks in the doors and no. wants the gambler go no. eat or stay there or whatever right there', there are really no visible changes at all um, but there's but it's resulted in you know billions upon billions of dollars changing hands and these casinos being locked into long term very high price leases so just as, just as one example you know the Bellagio MGM resorts sold the Bellagio's real estate they sold the property the buildings the land all the, all the real estate they sold it to the Blackstone group. Uh, in 2019, I want to say for a little over four billion dollars in cash, <sighs> leased it right back. I think the initial annual rent, and again, all these rents have annual, you know, annual increases. But right. I think the initial annual rent was over two hundred million dollars. Oh my goodness! Per year. So, and you know, there are others that have been more expensive. There are the others that have been less expensive. But right. you know, you get the idea. These are these are very expensive rents. Um, And it's just totally changed. The the property ownership on the Strip has just totally been transformed over the last few years. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest reasons was because a company called Vici Properties, which the average person in Las Vegas has probably never heard of them. People in real estate, especially commercial estate, certainly know who they are. Um, They're based out of New York. They were spun off of Caesars when Caesars' main operating unit was coming out of bankruptcy about four or five years ago. It was a spinoff to hold, I think, most or all of Caesar's real estate. So on the Strip, Vici was formed owning Caesar's Palace and Harrah's. Right, they owned the building. Caesar's Entertainment still leased them and operated them. Vici then embarked on some huge buyouts. They bought the Venetian from Las Vegas Sands. Who, as as you you know, yeah. I, sh- I should disclose. Majority owners of Las Vegas Sands also on the review journal. Right. But they bought the Venetian for I think it was part of a six billion dollar plus transaction. Vici bought the real estate for four billion dollars. And then what really expanded <clears throat> Vici's holdings on the strip though was they bought MGM Resorts real estate spin-off. Um, I think it was called MGM Growth Properties or something. Wow. This was a spin off that MGM had set up, I think, in twenty sixteen, to hold most of its real estate into a set and they pushed it into the separate company. Vici then bought that separate company, and it, so they now basically Vici is now the biggest landlord, biggest property owner of the strip. They own over 600 acres of real estate. Oh my goodness! They own you know Treasure Island, MGM Grand, um, Mandalay Bay. Um, you just you name yeah. it. I mean, virtually almost all of MGM Resorts hotels, not all of them, but almost all of them, the real estate is owned by this company called Vici Properties.
0: Amazing, amazing. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know. It, it, they're they're doing business at a level you and I will never probably. I mean, well, maybe you that's, would. I'll never understand it, Rick. I mean, <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I mean, the only thing I really kind of think about it came to my mind when you bring this up is that these properties, obviously, I think of a mortgage, right? They don't have a mortgage on. They built them. They paid them off multiple times. Yeah. And Now you know, it could be a tax play. right? Uh, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking. That okay, I'm, also, I'm leasing the building. Also now. a liability.
0: Tax. And right. Liability, I'm yeah.
2: taking. I'm taking the the liability part away from me, and yeah. now I'm making a tenant payment where. That's an operating cost to operate. So now that's reducing my income. while right. the new company is now depreciating that asset that's already been depreciated when I did it, right? probably took a huge tax hit up front when they did it. I mean, yeah, yeah.
1: i'm not I'm not going to pretend to know all the tax implications in these right. deals because I'm sure there're it's it's countless for sure. but but you, you know, you look at it from the seller's standpoint, right? Like MGM resorts, at the very least, you know, tax issues aside, which I'm sure there are plenty. yeah, but take take that aside. When the MGM sells a hotel for three or four billion dollars, which is done you know more than once now, right. that's an enormous amount of money, and it's usually in cash yeah. right. that they get upfront that they can spend however they see fit: new projects, dividends, pay down debt, whatever, Expansion right. expanding existing business lines. I mean, it's a, it's an enormous amount of money that they get right away, wired to their account. It's all cash. It's all there. Amazing. And then they get, but you know, the downside though is that they're then locked into these. You know, very big lease payments that they have to make right. every year. They have to set aside, you know, a couple hundred million dollars per year to pay their rent right. every year. Um, they also no longer own their real estate. So at the end of the day, they no longer ultimately control their own property. Their landlord is the owner now.
0: So theoretically, so- when their lease is up, these they like, they yeah. could be gone. <laughs> I mean, theoretically. <laughs> theoretically, yeah. Cool. theoretically.
1: Yeah, these are like 30-year leases yeah, I'm sure. with, with tons of it's like, it's like a stadium. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. you're not going yeah, anywhere.
0: Yeah. Who else is going to use that? I mean, right? I don't right. see a Walmart or a Target moving <laughs> in there. So it's yeah. yeah, I have to agree with that.
1: Yeah, so, but but yeah, there, there are pros and cons of these, but the pro being they get, uh, you know, a huge windfall of cash, right, right yeah. on day one.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, the Fountain Blue set to open this year, too, right?
1: It is, yeah, fourth quarter. They haven't announced an exact opening date or even an exact month, I believe, but... It's fourth quarter of, of this year, yeah, and this this is a property that's been on, as anyone who's lived here long enough, no, long big, enough knows. The, big the big longest monster, construction yeah.
2: project in Las Vegas history. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's
1: it's turning out to be that way, yeah. I mean, it's just been through, you know, a journey to, to, to you know, in the world's biggest understatement, it's been through a journey. You know, it's gone through bankruptcy proceedings, you know, construction stopped for many years. It's changed ownership. Multiple sales, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. changed ownership, you know, three times, I think, since mm-hmm. it was started, and now it's back in the hands of the original developer, Jeffrey Sofer out of Florida. Interesting. And and uh, they just uh, about a week or two ago announced uh, a $2.2 billion financing package for the Fountain Blue to allow them to finish construction.
0: So, Neat. Yeah. all right, cool. It'll be nice to have that finally operating. It at looks some point. amazing. I mean, it always has been a
2: cool looking building.
0: It is. And just yeah, never finished. The people right behind it were always upset, you know, because they built this building and they never really used it and they lost a lot of their views. The people who live in those uh, condos right behind it, I know that that was a problem for them, but never guaranteed a view. Everyone says it in real estate. You're never guaranteed a view. I don't care what the view is now. Somebody might put a building between you and a view sometime that, or a tree. <laughs> I mean, That's they the just truth. put a tree there and you're, you're blocked. Um, anyway, okay. So also, um, Tillman Fertitta's talking about doing something on the Strip too now. Oh he, yeah, he, he just bought a bunch. Uh, bought a bunch of land, right? Yeah.
1: So uh, Tillman Fertitta, you know, billionaire owner of the Houston Rockets and. You know, dozens of restaurant brands and you know, the Golden Nugget casinos here and, and in mm-hmm. other states. He purchased, uh, it was approximately six acres of real estate. It was at the southeast corner of Las Vegas Boulevard and Harmon Avenue, right across from city center. Um, it's where it used to be the Harley Davidson okay. uh, Cafe, right? It's now a Tex Mex restaurant in that building. But so there's a restaurant building. There used to be a travel lodge which he's already torn down, right? And there was like a small little strip of souvenir shops that he's right. already torn down too. Okay, so he bought six acres for two hundred seventy million dollars, little little over six acres, uh, comes out to like forty three million an acre, something like that. <laughs> which uh, f- I, that's the most exp- That's the highest price sale on the strip that i'm aware of like on a per acre per basis. acre sure yeah, yeah. 43 million
0: an acre that's, yeah. that's a good number um at least yeah. one
1: of the highest ever gotta that be I'm aware of yeah right oh yeah definitely that's a great
0: location phenomenal it's, location it's
1: an unbelievably busy intersection there huge traffic by enormous there. amounts of foot traffic enormous yep. amounts of vehicular traffic i mean it's you know there are tons of resorts all within walking distance you've got malls right nearby i mean it's just it's a it's really prime real estate yep. and he has already received approvals from the county to do a 43 story hotel casino on that side i think it's like 2400 rooms so um he's got a big project in the in the in the plans
0: outstanding hey listen um we've got so much more to talk about and you know having eli here is a a real treat and rick we're gonna have a lot to talk about with rick about but right now we're gonna stop for the bottom of the hour come back we'll be back in just a moment
2: 43 million
0: an acre acre. wow per acre i remember when it
2: used to be a million
0: an acre yeah Hmm the good old days huh the good old days the good old days to get 99 cent breakfast i'm going to i'm going to start talking about this article that i really like i'm going to talk about oh rick. yeah we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that right. rick you're going to like this this is good which article is it he he wrote this uh, just a couple days ago no yesterday it
1: ran over the weekend yeah, yeah.
0: um i don't want to tell you about it I'm w- right. I, I'm I, w- I want you to be surprised okay. i want you to be surprised by it because mm-hmm. i think it's really kind of it's kind of you cold didn't cold. quote me in it did you no. Okay. No, but he he didn't quote somebody we know, though.
1: All right, he, all right. Did.
0: he did. It's a secret, but we'll let you know. Let me won't.
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> let me make sure. Fact- are you from uh, Maryland? I am. Where? Where in Maryland? I went to oh. grad school there. Did you? I'm yeah. from Baltimore. Oh, you are. Yeah. where do you go? City or county?
0: county. Okay. Yeah. Right. But I grew up in Baltimore, nobody lived in the city. Bal- Baltimore. Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a Baltimorean. Yeah. I went uh.
1: to I went to University of Maryland for my journalism school. Did you really? Yeah. College oh, so Park, yeah. I was like yeah, no, no, just for just for my masters. You know, And then I uh, I did an internship in Baltimore actually in for the Baltimore Business Journal. Oh, cool. Like in 2008. I, and uh, oh wow, I never lived in Baltimore, but I, I lived in College Park for a year, and then I lived in Annapolis actually.
0: Annapolis wow. is great. Yeah,
1: Annapolis is really nice. Annapolis. I was there because we were covering the State House, nice as part of the program. So. Oh sure, but um, yeah, I loved Annapolis. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, and we went. Didn't we, care for
1: College Park, but Annapolis was great.
0: Well, yeah, College Park's all right, yeah. but Annapolis, I mean, I love
1: D.C. I think D.C. is great.
0: That's but, the thing. Yeah, you're so close to D.C. DC. Uh, yeah. College Park. I grew up in Hyattsville. <laughs>
1: oh, really? I remember Hyattsville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to go to Hyattsville. Rough. rough. Yeah.
0: I grew up there. I mean, we were the only. We were really the only white family in, in the neighborhood. But we we grew up there. Dad was working in D.C. We, we lived in Hyattsville, and I was there during the riots during. When Martin Luther King got assassinated, oh, really? it was brutal. It was terrible. Wow! Uh, but I learned a lot of valuable lessons when I lived there. Yeah. But I, I lived there when I was just a little kid. Then we moved to Baltimore shortly thereafter. Hurry! How old are you? Huh? How old are you? I'm, I'm sixty two. Okay. I'll be sixty three in, in another month. By the way, just in case you were wondering.
1: <laughs> I don't know like what high school used to be like. I just know what it was like when I was high school was it never was, great. It was like pretty. It was pretty rundown. <laughs> never yeah. great. It was never
0: great. It was always kind of that inexpensive neighborhood in the outskirts of D.C. Yeah. Um, but college, I'm still a Terps fan. I follow yeah. the Terps. I follow the basketball program, the football program. I still yeah. follow them when they move to, even when they move to the Big Ten. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting to see what they're doing. Yeah. So that's, no, that's cool. Yeah. Something else in common. I like
1: Maryland. I wasn't there for very long, but I like And
0: yeah. I, I mean, in Maryland, I, you know, I got my, I still have to get my crab fix every now and then. That's <laughs> yeah. the thing. That's the big thing. That was the
1: first time I ever went to a, like a, a crab. Had, do they call it um,
0: a crab feast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they dump the crabs on the yeah, table get, with like, the newspaper. Cra- yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. See, that's I love that. I'm yeah. lo- I mean, uh, I'm in for that. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's awesome. It'll, we it'll,
1: did it with the team. It'll, it'll just, kill you if you do it too much because the cholesterol is like. Oh my god! Yeah. The worst. Yeah. yeah.
0: But but they're so good. It's good, so man. good. All right, let's go into segment three. Here we go welcome back i'm harvey blankfeld you're listening to las vegas real estate now we're here every saturday at 11 a.m if you have a question or an idea for our program please call or text me at 702-203-1165 again that's 702-203-1165 with me now in studio we have uh, rick Senemy from equity title we're also still talking with eli siegel from the las vegas review journal um you know when i say i always say this when i come in the opening and i say hey just call or text me if you have an idea you know Sometimes you're involved in real estate and maybe you're you're buying a house or you're selling a house and and something came up and you want us to discuss that very – we're happy to do it. Bring it to us. We're happy to talk about those types of things because that's what we're here for. Uh, I want to make people more comfortable with the idea of buying and selling real estate. That's why we're here. We're here to educate. So don't don't hesitate to call us. Meanwhile, let's talk with Eli. Eli, you wrote an article earlier this week, um, and I'm going to read the title. Las Vegas home sales slowed under high mortgage rates uh, before – um, before it kind of gives a clue as to what's going, where this is going. But anyway, um, but let me read the first couple lines uh, that Eli wrote. With home buyers facing sky high mortgage rates, news reports were bleak. Las Vegas housing market was in a deep slump. Home sales were declining nationwide, and U.S. home construction was in a furious downturn. It's insanity. People can't afford these rates. A lender told the Review Journal. Southern Nevada's housing market pumped the brakes in 2022, and amid rising rates. But it wasn't the first time increased borrowing rates slowed. Those dire reports we were just reading were from the early 1980s when mortgage rates were vastly higher than they are now. The average rate on a 30-year home was 6.31% in mid-December this year, up more than double from a year earlier, but it was nowhere close to the rates people paid in October 1981 when the average peaked at
1: 1863
0: <laughs> Did you hear that? 18.63%. I wanted to keep. I want to say. Let me say it one more time. Eighteen point six three percent. So this hat. Wow. This, this is the, the. These things are cyclical. So the, one of the things that I get out of this is that look, guys. Yeah, mortgage rates are a lot higher than they were a year ago. Um, but they're where they're they're at their norm now. This is where they normally are. If you right. were now, Eli made a great point early early in the show that our market never seems to be kind of flat and stable. It's always either going up or going down. Similar to mortgage, mortgage rates are always moving in some direction. They're either going up or they're going down. They're never like, okay, they're, it's going to be 4.5% for the rest of the year. No, that doesn't happen. Mortgage rates adjust not just weekly or daily. They adjust hourly. Right, They're all constantly adjusting rates. So my, my point is simply this, is that, yes, we're, now that we've hopefully become more accustomed to the idea that the mortgage rates are a little bit higher than they were or a lot higher than they were, they're nowhere near where they might get to. They could – I mean, look, I don't believe they're ever going to go much higher than they are now. I think most people are predicting we've seen the peak of mortgage rates, although we don't know. Nobody knows for sure. What are you thinking, Rick?
2: Uh, I mean, I don't know if we've seen the peak. I think there's a lot of factors that come into that. I hope we've seen the peak. Let's just say that. I mean, yeah. I, I can say that over the last month we've seen more stabilization in the rate than we've yeah. had over the year. I yeah. mean, yeah. we really have. We've seen a big drop. I want to say it was at the end of November, beginning of December, somewhere around there, and it's kind of just stayed that way. Yeah, Slow movement up and down from there but um I, like i said i'd like to say that this is the the highest it's going to go but something's telling me that there's uh, you might see some more up might see some more up here we do the first quarter and then yeah. go from there but we'll, our
0: crystal balls are just as foggy as everybody else's we don't yeah. really know we don't really i mean we don't here's the, here's an interesting thing and this is a I did, this is a little side note um my father had to buy a car um his car was pretty beat up he had to buy a car so so my my kids and i went and helped him we were we went to the dealership with him and I was surprised to find out, first of all, the auto industry was just as hot as housing. It was right. crazy. You couldn't, you couldn't buy a car. I mean, you would pay maybe 10% over sticker to, get to order a car and maybe get one. But now it's different. So we go to a couple dealerships. I don't even say where we went, but we went to a couple dealerships. Financing incentives, 0% financing, 1.9% wow. financing. You know, two point nine percent financing. When when banks are loaning for cars, around four, five, and six right now is what they're doing. So the that was encouraging to me in the sense that people they, they understand the value of everyone understands the value of cheap money now. They do. They've seen they've seen the good and the bad, <laughs> right, and the ugly. And so now they understand the value of that. But I was encouraged. To, I didn't know it was out there, but it's there. There. So the so they're doing that. So now housing is different, completely different, obviously. But I, I wouldn't be surprised they're already coming up with ways to lower the rates right Lenders have already done that there's buy downs there's multiple variable rate mortgages there's things to make it a little more affordable for people so I so my emphasis to you guys as listeners is I want to make sure you understand don't ignore what's really happening right now prices have come down a little bit um, they probably I, you know my guess is they're going to continue to slip for a while because until activity picks up you're going to see sellers need to drop their prices. This is going to have to happen.
2: Yeah, we're we're seeing it on a daily basis with our our open order. One, two things. One, our open order count, how many transactions we bring in each day. Yeah, that has slowly been declining right. for the last you know six months. Sure, um, very. It, it's returned to the seasonality part that we talked about earlier, where yeah. we're starting to see that kind of the, the flatness of it, and now maybe some hope of it picking back up a little bit. Yeah, on a transaction side, but in saying that. The price point that we're bringing in right now is about five to ten percent off where we were, and we've had a couple blips in there <laughs> like november for us was was way down in price point right average sales price December opened about the same amount of orders in december than we did in november and it was forty thousand dollars higher as an average so interesting we're we're seeing a lot of the volatility with the price right now but in in a downward movement is what we're still slipping still slipping
0: still slipping still coming down the great thing in this in this article is that eli quoted uh, jack woodcock who's one of our colleagues here at at berkshire because jack was in the market then in the early 80s (laughs) he was involved in that market and he's quoted in in Eli's, and he said you know it was difficult to get a loan um and if, and buyers' income could rarely support a loan then. That, that's an issue now, too. Right. I mean, it used to be I could afford this much house. Now I can only afford that much house because interest rates are higher, and that's what we're dealing with. Um, but, the, but he points out that the housing slump didn't last long. Uh, the population kept growing, and house hunters found ways to get around the elevated rates.
1: Yeah, one of the things that he mentioned to me that I had never heard of was assumable mortgages. Yeah. yeah. And I I had never even heard the term before. I had to look it up and I I when Jack mentioned that I said what what are you talking about? And he he explained to me and then I then I looked it up and lo and behold at that time, I guess it was pretty common yeah. when you bought a home, you, you would also take over the seller's mortgage, which yep. is basically unheard of today. I'm sure there are some circumstances where you could do it, but in a, I think in a typical transaction, you're not going to see it's, that. It's the, coming
0: back. The terms of most loans, <laughs> is really? the, yeah. just so you know, Eli, the terms of most loans, all, virtually all conventional loans, is that they're not assumable. Right. However, FHA and VA loans are assumable. All of them are. Uh, but you still have to and, be your subject approval. You, you, you can't have anyone assume it. The person has to be approved by the lender. Right? Lenders are reluctant to do that, and this is the reason the rules changed. Before, it wasn't a law. There wasn't any rule about how you could do it. But then the, the Congress got involved because the lenders wanted the ability to be able to say, no, no, you can't assume these loans. Right. We need to charge you today's rate. That's what they wanted. They didn't want – and that's one of the challenges we're going to see as we go forward and look to assume some loans
2: so we're, we're seeing a couple things with that. So they came out, I don't know when they did, I'm not a lender, but I know there's what they call a standard deed of trust, mm-hmm. and that standard deed of trust is very much state specific, and a lot of lenders use the same one. Yeah. In there is a couple of clauses that stop assumable loans to a certain degree. Um, one is the assumability clause that's in there, but now what I've seen over the last two, three years, for some reason, a lot of um, loans are assumable. Yeah. And they have a you know, a charge in there. Now you still have to qualify, you still have to go through all the hoops, but I looked on my own deed of trust, and it's on there. My conventional loan on my house here is assumable. Outstanding. And and you're seeing, it's like a $300 assumable charge plus you know, qualifying. So right. it, we've closed, I want to say, upwards five to 10 of them already. Wow. Where the lenders- And there was a
0: conventional loans? or Conventional
2: loans where wow. okay. they've been assumed. Now, not all lenders did that. Not all of them have that. They have the clause is there, and if it's blank, it usually means they won't assume it. But right. what we tell people is, Call the lender and ask them. Just Absolutely. call your servicer and ask them, is my loan assumable? And they may. They may do it. They may not. Um, no promises. But it definitely is worth it because if you can take over a 3.5% interest rate versus a 6.5%, the seller wants to do it because they're going to get a premium price right. because of that rate as well.
0: Yeah. The seller's so, selling more than just the house. They're, they're selling, selling the, the loan, rate. too, yeah. and there's value in that loan in terms of the way the monthly payments. Now, there's challenges, too. Um, There are challenges to assuming a loan, and and I want to talk about those challenges. We've talked about them before, but I want to talk about them again because I think it's important because I want people to understand how that works and what it means to the deal. It's very important to understand there are very specific parameters you have to be concerned about when you assume a loan. So meanwhile, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we'll talk about that after the break, and we've got a lot more to talk to Rick and Eli about, so stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. Okay. So I think we talk about... The, the, the real challenge with it assumable is the principal balance, and that's what I want to talk about: is the idea that hey, yeah, you're going to assume that loan, but you got to come up with a difference, right? You, you know, they're not going to increase that principal for you. Yeah. You well,
2: got, and, and the thing of it is, too, is these lenders, there's there's a time frame that it, I'm sure they're looking at, right? Yeah. You, you know, if you bought a house a year ago, you got the low interest rate, you paid a little bit more for it. Now housing come down a little bit; that gap's not as big. It makes sense for
0: them to stay in that for a variety of reasons. Indeed. So, Indeed. All right, so here we go. Segment four, right into it. <clears throat> Welcome back. I'm Harvey Blankfeld. You're listening to Las Vegas Real Estate Now. We're here every Saturday at 11 a.m. If you ever have a question or an idea for our program, please call or text me at 702-203-1165. Again, that's 702 702- 1165. with me now in studio we have eli siegel and rick Senemi. before the break we were talking eli had found out about assumable loans from jack woodcock one of our colleagues here and uh, jack's been in the business a long time jack's he's a he's a, an amazing realtor and just and he's been heavily involved with the association and politically involved and in help uh, people buy homes and so uh, my, my i always tip my cap to jack because he's he's a pioneer for us here in the southern nevada market um, but he, he pointed out to you about assumable loans, and assumable loans are wonderful things in this particular market. When the rate, if you can buy someone's house and get an assumable loan at three percent, as opposed to paying the current rate of six percent, oh my goodness, that's huge, right? Right. The problem here's there are problems though. They bought that house two three years ago, and they paid uh, two hundred fifty thousand for it, and they borrowed two hundred and ten thousand. Now it's worth three hundred thousand. And that, that principal balance is only 200000 If you want to assume that loan, you've got to come up with that additional 100000 to get to the three. Right. Now, you can either do it with cash or you can do it with a second mortgage. That's a way you could do it theoretically. But unfortunately, you're going to pay probably 8.5% for the second mortgage. So you have to do some math still, guys. As a buyer, I still want you to sit down and do some math. Now, if you can find someone who bought the home last year and they're selling it this year, and they haven't knocked that principal down all that much, and it's still fairly close in price. Where the price went up and it came back down to where it is, there's a deal. There's a deal to be definitely. made there. That's a deal that you could you would love, but that's a, that's. So you, you got to look at both. Assume it assumable, but it's got to be enough principal there for me to be able to afford the house. So look at both of those elements. Um, so you are, but you. I, I'm I'm so excited to hear that you're seeing conventional loans. Yeah, with assumable clauses. Yeah, they're they're definitely.
2: Uh They're out there. We're seeing them. We're closing them. It's uh, it's interesting. It's not fast. I'll tell you that. It's not some work involved. There's some work involved in the buyer. There's work involved with the uh, the whole transaction. Um, We don't actually. It's it's an interesting dynamic too, because from the title insurance standpoint, we actually don't issue a new title policy either to lender. We just do what's called an endorsement. So they're really just keeping that on their books the way that it is and just switching out the borrower's name. Right. Um, you know, all the terms remain the same. The deed of trust still goes into play. Um, all of those dynamics of the original loan remain in place. Yeah. And that's what makes it so beneficial for the seller and the buyer. Yeah. And, and like you said, there's certain instances when this is going to be usable, and there's instances when it's not. Yeah. If you, You know, you bought your home three, four years ago, like you said, and you've paid it down, and now the price has gone up. Your buyer needs to have a lot of cash. Yeah. And if they don't, the assumable part isn't going to work.
0: The interesting thing is, as as we start to look ahead, if the market prices continue to slip, if they do continue to slip down to a level where they were when they bought the house, then these assumable assumable loans become very valuable. They do. Right? Um, And as a seller... You're selling not only the house, but you're selling the loan, too. The value of the loan. So you should be able to get the full value for the house. That's right. You you're, made that point earlier. You're getting a
2: premium. You should
0: get the premium for the house because you're selling them. Because they know their payment's going to be a lot lower. They should be able to do that. Yes. So it still has to appraise and everything else. That has to work.
2: What, but. We're seeing all of the... Um, I call it funny financing coming out of the woodwork right now. Are so, oh, you? Yeah. So, Assumables, um, we're starting to see. Wraps? R- yeah, in a degree. Uh, subject tos. Subject tos with a wrap or with a right. second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, They're getting creative in what they write in their contracts right now. Right. And, unfortunately, sometimes we're the bearer of bad news that we have to explain it to them, what they're yeah. really agreeing to. Yeah. And not from the buyer standpoint. The buyer has very little risk in, in those situations. Sure. The seller. Is the one has a lot of risk. right? So yeah, that's a that's a whole big conversation we could have someday.
0: <laughs> yes, and, and and these are twists and turns to financing Eli that, that go well beyond assumable. Yeah, <laughs> right. um, and some of them, I mean, in some of them, I mean, they're not you're you're not breaking the law, but you're breaking the contract. And you have to be careful about that because if the bank finds out, they may want to call the note due. Yeah,
2: the acceleration clause in the deed of trust is definitely one, I think. We're going to start
0: seeing a lot of those. Well, because I think lenders know that, geez, if I can get 6% as opposed to 3%, I'm going to get 6%. Right. That's what they're thinking. That's what's in their heads right now. And I I understand that. I don't like it, but I understand it. And and the due
2: on sale clause as well. Those two are going to be very... I think they're going to be used. Everyone will always to say, oh, we've never never seen this happen before. Yeah, well, yeah. I think we're going to see it now.
0: So tell me about uh, New Year's. How, how was New Year's at the Senemi House? What was going on? You there? know, we,
2: we didn't stay at home. I, I went out. Did uh, you? We went to dinner. Nice. Enjoyed a little bit of the uh, Did the you lost see some midnight activities? Did you? No, we had a late dinner. So it was like a, a 10 o'clock dinner reservation and, oh. and rang in the New Year over uh, our dessert. And nice. we went home.
0: Very so, good. That's actually
2: nice. Uh, yeah, I, that's I'd, great. I did have good whiskey. Did uh, you? Yeah.
0: What kind of whiskey were you drinking? I know you're a whiskey uh, fan. Blends. I had Bland. Blends? I had Blends. Blends, um, blends yeah.
2: Nice, yeah. That was it. Was pretty low key. A little gambling, you know. You got to do a little gambling on New Year's Eve.
0: Okay, I I didn't. I didn't know that, but okay. (laughs) I I got you. Uh, Okay. What about you? Uh, uh, We stayed. I always cook on New Year's Eve. That's a tradition in our house. I cook. We stay home. We do East Coast New Year's Eve. So we're in bed by nine thirty. (laughs) So, so we're done. You know, this is the way old people do it, Rick. I'm sorry. I hate to tell you this, Uh, but we're in bed by so. So I. So we. I, I roasted a prime rib. I made some shrimp scampi we had and I one tradition I do in New Year's Eve that I don't do any other days. We had some caviar. We bought some caviar. Okay. We do caviar and toast points, and we do all that. So we had a really nice meal. Everyone has their own New Year's Eve tradition that they yeah. have to do. So. How about you, Eli? What did you guys do?
1: Uh, my wife and daughter and I went out for dinner with my in-laws, and we had a 5 o'clock dinner reservation. <laughs> <So> <laughs> nice. That was the only one that we could get. So yeah. We were there for a couple hours, and then, and then my in-laws went to a party, and my wife and daughter and I went home. And nice. We, we just stayed home for the night. So we just yeah. watched, like, watch the tv watch the fireworks on tv that's it <laughs> nice. so
2: yeah. i didn't even see any fireworks I, I do have a question
1: for you were you supposed
0: to make dinner reservations and you uh, forgot no 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 okay. my in-laws right. took care of it so. okay
1: all all right, right, good all
0: right. well yeah so so we're we're home we're, we're i'm cooking dinner and we're watching the college football games yeah and the one game was like down to the wire and it's like it's like 8:54, 8 you know yeah. it's like getting, right. getting to the east coast midnight and we're like oh and and the guys are watching the game and the women are like Turn the damn channel. We got to see the ball drop, you know. So we're, you know, because we always watch the ball drop, and we always toast the new year at nine o'clock. We cut it right on the edge. I mean, we, I mean, literally, it's like click. You know, we had to, yeah. and the, there, there went. It was right at midnight the there game were, ended.
2: There were, yeah. There, there was a meme that was online that the kicker missed the kick right at midnight. Yeah. That's
0: exactly so. what happened. Yeah, it was it was it was tight. So, uh, Eli, I understand you, you play you play hockey.
1: I do. Yeah. Where do you play hockey? Uh, right now, I play. Uh, where do we play? It? The Flamingo Rink on Flamingo and Fort Apache. Las oh, sure, Vegas. I know that Las place. Vegas Ice Center. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So I, I grew up playing ice hockey. My uh, my parents are from Michigan. Oh, and uh, my so my dad and his brothers they grew up in Detroit playing ice hockey. And nice. My grandfather played ice hockey, and so it's a big big thing in our family. So. I grew up in the Bay Area. Actually, I was born in Michigan, but I grew up in the Bay Area. Oh, and then um, and so I grew up playing playing out there, like in San Jose in that area. So, oh neat. Um, and then I've been playing since I was eleven. So forty. So most of my life now. Been nice. Playing, so, so is know. it like
0: a league? Or yeah, you, yeah, it's an yeah. adult. It's an adult league. Adult yeah, league. Yeah. Nice. Uh, heavy guys, hitting. Do you, guys, like do, you guys, say, do you guys? you guys? You guys it pretty good?
1: Or? <laughs> pretty good. Or like I want <laughs> <laughs> You're not. It's it's not a full contact league. No. So okay, you're, not, right. you're not. You're not allowed to body check, and if you do, you get a penalty. But there, I mean, there's some, but it's not. It's not a full contact. league. Okay. All right. Yeah. There's
0: bumping, not checking. Right.
1: Yeah, some, yeah. sometimes people decide to to do a body check but they're not supposed to. So but, yeah, but mostly it's just kind of bumping off each other. Yeah. Well I can yeah.
0: you see I'm not a very good skater, so for me I could I would do it, but it definitely would not be I could do it just to keep myself from falling, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, that could happen to me for sure. I don't know about you. Are you a skater? No, I,
2: I lived in Minnesota for a year and a half and northern Minnesota. Wow, where you know they skate on their drive- they're they skate skate on their driveways because it's so cold. The- <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I never learned how to skate. I was indoor basketball.
0: That was my yeah, like the indoors. Keep it warm. Yes, right, nice. So you go to the nights games. You, you,
1: I've actually, I have been to one Golden Knights game. Wow, only one. Oh yeah. my goodness! And I just went. My wife and I went to our first Knights game about a month or two ago. Wow, yeah, first one. Did you enjoy it?
2: It was fun. Yeah, it's great. It it's a great event. Yeah. It's, it's a, a cra- it's a tomorrow crazy tomorrow event. <laughs> Penguins tomorrow night. Was oh, that right? Yeah, here in right. town? Yeah. I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, boy. But
1: I grew up uh, going to Sharks games, so that was the team that I... Oh, I, that okay. I so they're like our rivals yeah. here. They're like the they rivals. Are, yeah. yeah it was kind of like... It was kind of surreal when, uh, when the Knights were playing all those playoff rounds against the Sharks. It was just kind of a <sighs> big throwback Lear. to my childhood. I'll, <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll bet. Watch you had the be, Sharks play, so.
0: You had to be a little torn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, guys, hey, listen. What a fun real estate we, we've we had. I want to thank Mark, our production director. Thank Carly and Erica once again for doing a great job. Also want to thank our outstanding expert contributors today. What a great show we had. Uh That being uh, Eli Siegel and Rick Sentime. You've been listening to Las Vegas Real Estate Now. I'm your host, Harvey Blankfield. Next week, we'll have another fantastic hour for our guests going to be. We have John Ingram here, and John's always a good a good guest. He's pretty good. Yeah, I think we think he's top five, Carly. Top five, yeah, for sure. Um, if you ever have a question about real estate, I know he's listening right now. If you ever have a question about real estate or any of the other topics we cover, just call me off air or text me at 702-203-1165. Again, that's 702 203 1165 Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, LV Real Estate Radio, and like and follow us on social media at LV Real Estate Radio. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us this week. Remember, when we seek to educate, empower, and engage with you, we want you to learn, understand, and then act. We'll meet you on the radio next Saturday at 11 a.m.